Soy Power Podcast is a free podcast made possible by the support of our awesome Patreon sponsors. Head to toypowerpodcast.com and see how you can help. Welcome to Toy Power, the podcast where we talk toys and everything pop culture. It's Trent here, and wonderful to have your company today for episode one. This week on Toy Power, we're going to take a look at the world post Toys R Us, what it means for the landscape 18 months since the closure of the world's largest in store toy retailer. Then, we're going to take a little look at one of the TV shows that I think is going to be an absolute take home at the Emmys this year, and that is HBO's Watchmen. We'll have a little bit of a look at the series itself, but also talk about what this means of how to treat beloved properties, and did they do it right, or did they have questions? Joining me today in the Toy Power studio, we've got Ben. G'day, g'day. Frank. Mohoi, And Darren. Good to be with everyone. All right, so we, we wanted to talk about kind of the landscape of the mm. toy industry, and... and Retail kind of in particular, but it always kind of goes to online as well because that's yep. part of the market. But Toys R Us, gone. They've been gone now for 18 months. And the, in the US, let's just take a focus on the US for a moment. Mm. It leaves really two big department stores that are stocking toys, and that is Walmart and Target. And one of the things I want to sort of touch on, I know Chris Wisdom sent out a very interesting article during the week around what this means for exclusives. Mm. Pixel Dan did, a, I guess, a bit of a rant around the Walmart exclusives, real Ghostbusters line yep. and what that meant. And just to break down some of the, the things we're experiencing with this new phenomenon, right? So let's talk exclusives. Let's talk in a post-Toys R Us world. We're getting a lot of lines where we, we'll reveal the news. So we'll do a, a news episode and we'll be reading through, where's this available? Oh, it's a Walmart exclusive or it's a Target exclusive. And I guess I wanted to break down what is the role of the exclusive. Now, it seems to me that manufacturers, obviously they're gonna make, they're making toys and they've got to get a buyer to come in. And as we know, back in the day, they'd they'd go into the, the toy events, the big toy fairs, and they'd, they'd pitch their product. They go, hey, Tim Burton's doing this new Batman film and these are the toys that are gonna go with it. You wanna, mm. you wanna have these stocked on yep. your shelves and everyone would be like, wow, this is gonna be a huge hit. Buy, 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 buy. And it just explodes and there's there's toys everywhere. This whole concept of the exclusive now seems quite different. So we've got Master of the Universe Origins, right? And the big, the big deal with that is, well, first up, it's a Walmart exclusive. Now the good news here is starting off 2020. Timed exclusive. Yeah, timed yeah. exclusive, yeah. which means broader release later on. But this concept that the retailer like the Walmarts have the power to negotiate with toy manufacturers like Mattel, Hasbro, Spin Master, all those guys to say, this is the toy we'll make exclusively for you. You can only buy that toy in your store. Now, it might be a full line that might be exclusive to that toy store. It might be a particular item within that line. What sort of the, the in your mind, the rationale for what makes this tick? Is that a way of the retailer having guaranteed sales to that store. And, and likewise, now that store has this exclusive item. Is it creating kind of artificial hype or artificial exclusivity that makes those items rare and hot and sought after? What's, what's sort of the logic? How does, how does these exclusives work from, a, from a, I guess, a, a retailer, a manufacturer, a consumer perspective? From the well, I remember when the DC Universe Classics line was in full swing. Every Five Waves was a Walmart exclusive. Yep. And Trent probably remembers that too. And I remember a lot of concern about that being raised on the Matty forums at the time. And Scott Knightley, the then brand manager, seemed to indicate, where, and this is how I took it and how a lot of other people took it, that if they didn't do that, there was a high likelihood that Walmart wouldn't stock the line. So they want they want the exclusives as a as a like a sweetener to, to then purchase yeah, the line. Yeah. 
and your imagination runs away with you with that. Is that just a nifty valve threat? Would they really follow through with that? Or is this a case of retailers now feeling that toys are not the easy sell they once were and they have to, or they feel they have to make sure that there isn't sufficient competition that, that uh, they get stuck with these things for, for, you know, a couple of years or three years or however long they might sit on a shelf for and have to be clearanced at a really low price. Well, that was going to be my Hard question. This, this just how real that threat would be. Sure. Because this... we're not living that world. Yeah. The the DC Classics you're talking about, Darren, what year are we talking, roughly? So they debuted, I think, in... Was it 2006 or 2007? Yeah, around, okay. around yeah. that. Yeah, yeah so, around so, that. So we're five... Ran, it, it's a line that ran for 20 waves. So sure. it... It, it ran for a long, long time. Every five waves or so, give or take, was a Walmart exclusive. Yeah. Um, Maddie ended up having being able to sell some on their website. Timed as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah certain, wave certain. five. Yeah. Um, but that was like more than two years after they'd been sold in Walmart. And, and Scott Knightley yeah. then again at the time said, we're doing this because a lot of people couldn't find them in their local Walmart. Yeah, it was to appease collectors. Yeah, didn't exactly. end up in Which was a great Walmart. result, right? Yeah. And and the the exclusive um, nature of it has now expired. Yeah. It's been yeah. more than two years. So we've we've turned on the machines again and we're selling them on Matic. And that's yeah. rare for yeah, a manufacturer that, to I do would that. say that doesn't happen anymore. No. Right? No. And right. To, 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 to sort of backtrack... I don't track... know how well that did. Yeah, so to, to backtrack a little bit from a, again, I'm not in the industry, so take this for, for what it is, but my view from the toy manufacturer point of view is there's someone like a Hasbro with Marvel Legends, for example, there's all these crazy requests for out-of-the-box figures that just, it, to their mind, to their metrics, to whatever research they've done, they're not going to sell. So the way they do this to appease this really annoying bunch of collectors who email them or Facebook them all the time, they go, right, Walmart um, Walmart are going to basically, we're going to partner with Walmart and you can, that's how you're going to get your Stepford Cuckoo Sisters or whatever it is, right? That's how they can put out these figures to shut the collectors up, but then they're still guaranteed of money because it's, it's a deal with Walmart. Mm. It's sort of how I, I read part of that. Yeah. The other part of it, and this is why I asked about the year for which uh, the DC Classic example was, I think, even as, and that was what, 15 years ago, I think the competition from online is exponentially far greater Correct. than it was 15 years ago. And now yeah. these big chains that would previously just get, they would go to the trade shows and go, oh, yeah, should we stock this you know, Masters toy line or whatever it is? They're now running scared because these companies are going to go direct to market. Yep. They're going to sell stuff on their own stores or they're going to open their own eBay store or whatever it is. Can't do it with an exclusive, right? Correct. It's got mm. to come in store to get that. So, yeah, yeah so that's a, that's an angle that I hadn't considered. I think that makes sense. Mm. I kind of looked at it as anti-competitive behavior. So we want to have these items. You can't get anywhere else and therefore... It's exclusive, it creates demand, and we can kind of... And I know they don't, but mm. theoretically, we can charge whatever we like for that. Yeah. It's it's now... I'm not competing with anyone. It's in-store. It's the only place you can get it. If you want it, come um, on in yep. and get it. So that makes that makes sense. I see the other angle, and that, that's perfectly plausible logic, and, and I get that. Is there a bit of the case... There's Pixel Dan kind of put the proposition out there with his thoughts on Ghostbusters and the fact that, you know, the real Ghostbusters, it's it's a recreation mm. of an 80s toy property that really, I know it's a Ghostbusters year and we're going to be getting a new Ghostbusters film and, and you know, Ghostbusters is always sort of a bit of a bit of an evergreen yeah. sort of property. It's in the hearts and minds of a lot of people. But that, that's not something that had mass appeal. So I understand that being a store exclusive. But he made the comment that it's almost like Walmart, who was the holder of this particular license at this time for this exclusive, didn't really care about it. So they've they've got it, they've negotiated it. Yep. And then they don't really give a give a crap. Like, yep. you know, you buy your 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 Egon and he comes folded the cards folded yeah. up so it can fit in a box because they don't really understand the market or who this is going for. So is it a bit of a case of, you know, that they they are not the right kind of stores, Kmart, uh, sorry, Targets and Walmarts in the US 
to be the bastion of these kind of collector-oriented lines, what, you know, are, are they doing the right thing? You know, it, it's a toy. You're getting your toy in perfect condition. Can I fold it and put it in a box? Is that really a big deal from their perspective? Do they need to get better at that? Because there's no competition. You either get it from there or you don't. And if you don't like it, who do you complain to? Yeah. It's not like you can go down to you know, store next door yep. and buy that Ghostbusters figure off the shelf. So we're in a bit of... As a collector, mm. I, can, I could sense Pixel Dan in his review of this Ghostbusters debacle felt a bit like a, a helpless... Trapped. Trapped. You know, mm. what, what do I do? How, do? how does this get better? I don't feel like this situation is going to get any better for us. Yeah. I mean, there are there are sort of more online sort of store excuses. I think of Entertainment Earth. There's the Hasbro Pulse stuff. Hasbro Pulse, perhaps a little bit different because it's all in-house yep. properties, but... Amazon do. Amazon do some as well. So um, I kind of feel that the... the the big retailers, your Walmarts and your Targets, they're being targeted because of just the sheer number. Everybody goes to Walmart. Yep. Everybody yep. goes to a Target yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. It's, it's you know, even if you're not interested in it at all and you walk past and you see it on the shelf, oh, my kid likes Ghostbusters or whatever, and you might yep. pick it up. You're not a collector, whatever. Yep. Well, and I think it's sheer force of numbers and the buying power. Walmart might buy a thousand of these whereas an entertainment earth might only take 500 for yeah, argument's yeah, yeah. sake so there's economy of scale sort of stuff in there um there's i mean again without knowing the terms of these contracts they've negotiated with your walmarts and stuff it's hard to know what was the the overriding factor is it more that you you know uh, who who made the ghostbusters one is that hasbro it's hasbro yeah. Yeah. yeah is that just them going well We've got all that stock out the door, therefore we don't care. Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of what it feels like to the collector because they've just gone, who's going to buy the most? Walmart's going to buy the most because they've got the most money. What happens once it leaves Hasbro? Not our problem. Not our problem. Mm, so yeah. it's, I can understand Pixel Dan's frustration at feeling like the man in the middle with nowhere else to turn, really. I'm, I'm faced. I'm faced with an issue right now where I want to collect Godzilla. He's got Playmates Godzilla figures, and I've found out uh, without reading anything. It's just uh, off my own, uh, you know, actually visiting different stores and things. That Kmart is the exclusive right, rights holder for these toys. Like you don't find them at Target, you don't find them at Big W. Certainly don't find anything at Maya. So mm. let's not joke about them. <laughs> uh, so. Um, you know, and but it's frustrating because Trent's seen a couple of times the shelves stocked, obviously in the morning and things, obviously uh, at a particular uh, well turnover store. But in in sort of the areas that I've been visiting, there's nothing. Like there's yeah. there's empty shelves. Not consistent. No, it, yeah. and and if if I was the rights holder, I'd be putting it on an end cap. I'd be advertising, come and get your. Uh, you know, Playmates Kong and Godzilla yep. toys here because we're the only ones that stock it. But I mean, I suppose with everything going digital as well, we don't get even get catalogs anymore from Kmart. Yeah. It's all gone digital online and things. That was a easy pivot for them to be like, oh, COVID's too too hard. Uh, we can't get our mailman to deliver the catalogs anymore. <laughs> Let's just here's the time. Finally, we've got an excuse now to um, you know solely go online yeah. yeah you know and i think that's it's, it is a, a sign of the times but uh i'm less likely to click on the kmart website to look at their catalog than i am to walk through their doors so to speak you're less likely to even to be honest i'm less likely to think about it i've set some of these things up where they email me to rem, basically to remind me that there is a digital catalog otherwise yeah. i wouldn't even think yeah. to look for that's it. right yeah uh, which is a real problem. Now, Ben, you'd be an interesting person to talk to because I'd love to get your thoughts on what you've just said, given your retail background. Do you how how deeply do you think in Kmart there would be a sense of awareness that this is an exclusive line? Oh, um, zero. Like yeah, it'd, it'd be it'd be it'd be the twenty top tiered people, yep. and maybe the store managers, and uh, just maybe the department managers. But Kmart run at such a lean. Uh, team so they can you know push as much profit for, through the yep. door they have morning fills so there's zero, virtually no customer service on the shop floor because all their profit is uh, you know keeping all those uh, you know rates per hour and everything at, at such a yep. low level such a, a, a slow a small running cost that uh, you know so they can make the most money uh, you don't Absolutely. go into Kmart prices down too, yeah you don't known for 
you don't go into Kmart's and things to get customer service. You Correct. go in yep. with the mindset, I know what I want. And, you know, and I'm guilty of that in a retail world where I've got the pressures of my workload to do and yet customers are busting my balls asking me which yeah. color they should get, you know, like, <laughs> or something. Like, it's just so frustrating. Do you have it in black? Yeah, have you got any blacker? Um, so, I, I, you know, but it, they've just got to realize customer service is not what it used to be. Yep. Like, they... they yeah. The, the the business people up top think that's what the way they're going to win customers over, but reality the the allowances they're giving you at store level are woeful compared to previous years and definitely uh, halved on previous decades. Yeah. So, so best case scenario is the store manager and the department manager may may know it's a store exclusive. Yeah, but the on the ground workers. But then, but then, but then the probably put putting them out yeah. would have no clue. It's potentially not not their fault though. They don't have stock. No, no, of you know, it's not. or because I don't think there's there's not like in the in today's automotive ordering world, you don't you can't say I need an extra six cartons of this because I think it's going to sell it well. It's based on transactions. It's based on store Metrics, size. It's yeah. based on you know how many aisles of action figures you've got versus the store that's down the road that does double the amount of money. Blah blah blah. You know. So yeah, mm. there's no there's no on the shop person saying, "Yep, I'm going to have a go at this" because it's all systematically generated for you. So then, going back to the Toys R Us example, then being a toy specialty store, is this like how did it work when Toys R Us was a thing and it and it, they there was lots of Toys R Us exclusives? Were they well? Uh, yeah, were they uh, available here? Or you well, say, oh, I was yeah. just—I mean, yeah. we're still talking in a US yeah. example yeah. at, at yeah. this point. So, yeah. were they just regularly flush with all their exclusives? Were they end capped? Well, like, was there, to your point, someone who knew the product because it is a specialty store well, when you break it down? They had the stickers, pretty much. I yeah. mean, they were always stickered with Toys R Us exclusive. Yep. So you could you could walk out. So I think it's easily identifiable. Yep. Is it easily um, so, available? Because that's that's the issue. I'll, I'll give you an example. Like, I'll give you an example. So, to 2010, I went over to the states for yeah. my honeymoon and things, and that was right around the time that He-Man versus Superman and Skeletor versus Lexu. The, the Masters of the Universe. Yep. Yes, yes. Versus correct. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. So I went up and I said to Scott Nylake, I hate to use his name again, but and throw him under the bus. <laughs> but I got up on the Maddie Collector panel and I said, Are you going to make these? Uh, two packs available in Australia in Toys R Us yep. and he's like you've got Toys R Us's in Australia don't you and I said yes but they don't seem to come over here yeah. and he's like well I've got no control over distribution and I said well are you going to make them available on the website and he said no we can't but then he gave me one right they gave me one for asking a question so yeah, right. tick that box Okay. Uh, so I got a He-Man Skeletor per se I then went and bought one on the con floor yeah. uh, thing and then I found one in Toys R Us actually while I was you know while just you visiting and mm. things so um, you know uh, that was just a quick wham bam thank you ma'am run in run out scenario but I did mm. was able to find one at the shop floor they didn't definitely didn't have an end cap or anything of them yep. but they uh, it was a lot better stock than what we get over here, yeah. over here in Oz yeah. uh, mm. so to, to use the Ghostbusters example of stuff just being thrown in a box and, and folded up or whatever was that was that happening with Toys R Us? Because to your your point, Ben, the guys on the floor don't necessarily and okay the stickers may have helped that a little bit but they're just you know the teenagers who've got their first job right they, they don't necessarily know slash care what a collector like us is going into a store and looking for no but like, they, they should like a toys r us you cater a lot of your market is adult collectibles mm-hmm. a lot adult collectors yeah so when you have a packing process it should be cognizant of that as a fact these yep. might be going yeah they should be packed professionally yeah so you know there's a there's a and, and and pixel dan talks about the inconsistency with how things are packed one beautifully packed with bubble wrap and one just chucked in a box, one folded because it doesn't mm. fit in the box and, and all those sorts of things. But the, I guess the frustrating part here is that it's so... From from what I'm understanding is that we've had this thing in Australia where, to Ben's point, we might not even get the exclusive, right? Mm. So it's this frustration, this layer of complexity on top because we can't even go into a store and find these exclusives. You know, 80% of them won't even get here. Yeah. America, US people are now faced in the, in the fact that Toys R Us is gone and the, the, the landscape has changed they are now faced with the prospect that when a toy is labelled as an exclusive they're now going I'm not going to find it yep. I'm not going to see it in stores yep. it's, it's 
it, the, the, the person packing that store knows it's exclusive. They just take the shipment before it even hits the shelves yeah, and sell it on eBay for, for twice the price. So they know they're going to struggle to find it because distribution's so poor. Might shop in that store, won't shop in my store here, right? So the point with the Ghostbusters line that's fascinating is Pixel Dan knew this. He knew that it would be hard to find in store, hmm. potentially, based on prior experience. So he's gone the online option. Hmm. I'm going to get. I'm going to beat the game. I'm going to get yep. it into my cart. And by doing that, and, and apparently I've never used Walmart online, but apparently the system's terrible. Yeah. So you've well, got this Chris terrible Wisdom system. Wisdom said that as yeah. well. He terrible, said terrible system, yeah. boots yeah. you out or cancels yeah. your order or does whatever at the drop of a hat. But then the frustrating bit, because they, you know, I, I think we remember Guillermo coming on Toy Power and, mm. and saying, do you have the who you're going to call on the top of your, yes. your Ghostbusters yeah, yeah. box? And what happened was they realized partway through, they didn't know this, but they had to pay a royalty yeah, copyright, to, to yeah. use that. So they did a running change halfway through. It took it off. But that actually changed the SKU. Uh, so the, 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 basically the yeah. unique identifier of that toy. So what Pixel Down was saying was it almost got deleted like yeah, by, by this byproduct. And then yep. they did the trilingual packaging. Yeah. So there were three SKUs for the same toy. And I think he got, you know, a couple of each, you know, like, and, but then what was happening was they were showing up in stores for like two months before they were shipping out to people. Jeez. So then you, so you play the game. Do yeah, I, I gamble, order online to, to try and get ahead of the game, knowing that I might receive a bent card or it yeah. might just get cancelled or all these. So, so they're finding the, the whole situation. They're kind of living our world to some degree. Yeah. But I, that, that kind of blew my mind. To know that the US guys are just, are just struggling. Yeah. And to the point of NECA, where the Turtles, yeah. you know, like we, we at least, they go through Icon Collectibles. They, they Then they distribute out to all the specialty retail stores. Yep. Turtles figures are actually pretty darn easy to get your hands on, Correct. right? Like here. Yet there are people that still haven't found Rocksteady and Bebop over in the States. To the point where you mentioned Turtles in particular, Chris Wisdom, when the reveal of NECA and their uh, coming out of their shells tour, Chris Wisdom hit us up going, guys, I'm going to need your help getting these. And that struck me. I'm like, yeah. hang on a second. You're in America. What the hell? And it's exactly right because he knows it's a, I believe it's a Target exclusive, those ones. He is going to have zero to Buckley's chance of going into Target and finding these things. He obviously doesn't have faith in their online ordering slash packing system. So it's better. Chris figures he's got a better chance yeah. of asking his Australian mates to order it online and friggin' send it to him. Wow. Now, what does that tell you? How yeah. broken is the system if yeah. that's what you, you're coming broken. to? Mm. Yeah, another thing I've heard as well is, and um, I know people have said Hasbro Pulse are pretty cool and everything, mm. but they're G.I. Joe figures. People have pre-ordered their G.I. Joe figures from Hasbro Pulse yep. whenever they went up online. But then there's another community that's already gone in stores and bought their G.I. Joe figures, have them in hand, and yet the G.I. Joe Pulse collectors still yep. have not received their physical G.I. Joe oh, deliveries yet. So they've they've bad. they've beaten the the release date, the physical release date by pre-ordering, have not received them yet, mm. even after the the release date physically has you know been and gone and it's frustrating a lot of people over That's there that bad. i just want my figures yeah. you know scenario yeah, and and like as someone said it's hasbro pulse it's the it's the mother ship yeah, of the direct. company it yeah. should be just such a open one door slide it in another scenario yep. not what what the hell is breaking the system you know uh so frustrating mm. <laughs> i just don't have an easy answer no i don't think any of us do mm. certainly not walmart no. and uh the toys r us one is an interesting one especially over here because it was very hit me says as you said the master universe versus dc stuff didn't come any but a lot of stuff did certainly in star wars black series most of it did um if not all of it marvel legends a lot did even dc universe classics um like you know some of the green lantern stuff and that that was Toys R Us exclusives and some of the two packs that didn't have masters in them, they all found their way to Australia. Mm, yeah. yeah, the, the yeah. one the one barometer I sort of look at this is is NECA, and they, we've spoken a, a number of times. Wonderful product, and we we, we at one stage we in uh, in the Patreon community uh, started saying which toy company would you want to work for. And 99% of it was all Necker because they just, Randy seems like a really down, he's one of us, right? He's down to earth, you know, really cool dude. And 
they have gotten swept up in this whole, oh, this part's exclusive to Target, this is exclusive to Walmart. And uh, Randy, who is pretty much Necker's Twitter, as I understand it, he even posted something just the other day. Someone went, oh, well, you know, I'm never going to find Tocker and Razor because they're a Target exclusive, you know, blah, blah. And Randy's response was, oh, we've got something in the works and it's going to be far cooler than, than going to Target. So... A loot crate as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was one maybe of the it was theories. Loot, was yeah. it loot, loot yeah. crate was. Yeah, and, and you're right. Maybe I'm I'm misremembering the original poster, but basically got, he was yeah, implying longer, that, yeah. you know, yes, we know that this system is broken. We're trying to fix it, but to the original point of where else do you go if not Target and Walmart? Um, well, I mean, this is the thing. which circle sort of round back to that exclusive. Like, what mm. what makes it a thing? And it's almost like Necker. They've got the choice, right? They're, they're sitting at a boardroom table. Randy's there. You know, they've got the, the, the CEO over there. And they're going, you know, Target have offered to take 30,000 units. Hmm. Now, the metrics will show that if we put this up on our site and if we do it this way and if we do it that way, we'll cap out at, at 15,000 or whatever. 15,000 known orders. Do you take the 15,000 and then go through and do it through your site and do all that? Hmm. Or do you just send a shipment to Target to sell it. the 30,000 units? Yeah. So, so... And with those, you know, with that buy, they have to make an exclusive. You know, mm-hmm. they have to do the deal. Okay, yep, we can sell it to Target. They'll put it in their video game section. They'll put it here, blah, 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 but they'll take it. And then it's in the hands of Target, like mm-hmm. like we said. Now, as a businessman, you take the deal that gets you the best sales, Correct. the easiest sales and the most money, so you can keep making these toys. But unfortunately, the experience of the consumer has been more missed than hit yep. to the point that, you know, even I don't think Randy had been able to go in and find certain things. I think that he was collecting in other lines, you mm. know, like and and I think he was he was running a bit of the company line of, you know, just hold tight, keep yeah. looking in stores, keep yep. because he wants Target to, to renew, to, mm. to keep buying or the yep. stores that do that. So he wants those sales to be, you know, on the floor. But they need to be, you know, people need to yeah. be able to get them. So yep. <laughs> it's it's a really weird situation that doesn't the nut doesn't seem to have been cracked here. Yep. There's still a teething or a problem. But you know, to go, you know, you mentioned Star Wars, Darren, that Star Wars in Australia has been a, a bit of the exception and a forty dollar Australian price point, it's 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 up there. But we had that glut about a year back where, you know, we would do, we would a dumping ground. I think yeah. a lot of the world was a dumping ground for, for certain waves that was around yeah. the, the, you know, the, the Things time that of, I think had been made for Toys R Us, but they'd, they'd closed. And, so. and, and in my opinion, it almost, it almost killed Black Series in retail here because, yeah. you know, if you can, if you're a mum and a dad, and you can walk in and get a Star Wars black figure off the shelf for ten dollars Australian, mm. and then you see it, them trying to sell them for forty dollars at Maya, you're nah. gonna go, well, I'm, I can get it for ten. Yep. And I think it took that that whole glut issue was really bad for the Star Wars, and and to me, it's only now that we're seeing it retailers kind of get the confidence yeah. to put it up to the extent I went into a Zing the other day. And they had Mandalorians on the shelf. There was a, a Count Dooku. There was a Padawan Anakin. Mm. There was a jet, you know, Stormtrooper up there. You know, they had... That it felt like the, the confidence was yeah. back to stock these and and not feel that, you know, the next day there, they're going to be at the cheapest chips for, for 10 bucks. Mm. So it's it's a fine line they're running here and, and, and a, a, a tight one to, yeah. to balance all these things, but there's something going wrong in the whole space at the moment and, and I don't know if this was something certainly wasn't something I predicted mm. that we'd be having this discussion about exclusives and about Target and Walmart and how that's all working when Toys R Us closed well, that it was, wasn't yeah. something yeah. I th- yeah. thought it through. was all something we sort of talked about going what does this mean I guess you know watch this space we'll find out we're here yeah. and it, it ain't pretty yeah I'm not quite sure where we go from here I guess is the is the question. I did have the sort of the silver lining. I know Ben, you haven't seen it yet, but that that day I went into that Kmart and I was I was mess. I, I messaged you guys mm. here and I was like, I found the Godzilla. I found Bumblebee yeah. on the retro. Holy car. Grails! Look at it. You know, yeah. there was there was the day child out. from the Mandalorian. It was stocked, and it was. I know the day. It was a, it was a Thursday morning, mm. and and it was you know early morning. I was I was doing a run. I was going to go down to Collectible Chaos, and I. Uh, that didn't open till ten, so I had time to go to Ingle Farm. Came out on the way down, and and it was 
it was glorious because I hadn't, I hadn't seen anything like this probably for for a year. It was just fully stocked shelves of all the good the good products that we're into. Yeah, and, and it gave me hope that Australian retail isn't dead. We've been a bit dire on this podcast about how bad it is, but there are these glimmers, these moments where this stuff is coming in, and it's not coming in to the extent that you can go, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll throw in all, I'll throw out the window all the pre-orders I I do on Black yeah. Series and just rely on retail. I don't know if we're there yet. No. But no. it's it's exciting to see this stuff back on shelves. You feel yeah. that there's a chance there might be a battle for the soul, though, between retail versus online and whether or not retail might sort of try and channel something similar to what it used to be. It won't be the same, but something that's at least reminiscent. Yep. You know, and, and, and that's more than what we've had for a long time. Yeah. All right, very good. We'll wrap that little review of post toys or us if you've got any thoughts or feedback or comments we'd love to hear it mm. always love digging deep into these sorts of things um but yeah feeling your pain feeling globally yeah. feeling the pain of, of what it's pinch. like yeah <laughs> all right i wanted to chat now move up to, to an experience i had which was i'll just quickly set the scene here so i'm at san diego comic-con it's 2011 and one of the panels I go to see is Dave Gibbons, right? Dave Gibbons, as we know, illustrated Watchmen alongside the, the brilliant work of Alan Moore as the writer. Um, but the illustrations are absolutely tremendous. And there's a lot of detail that we talked through at that panel, that um, Dave talked through at that panel. And if you think about 2011, what had happened was we'd had the Zack Snyder film and DC was talking about uh, comic book series, right? And, and we we eventually got the comic books. They they did a run, and and then Watchmen got integrated into the kind of the DC universe, and um, with the sort of the reboots they were doing. But I remember specifically, Dave Gibbons asked this question at the time. So it's post post Zack Snyder, but before any of the reboot comic stuff. And he said, "Look, do you guys want to see? You're all fans of Watchmen. You all come here because you're fans of Watchmen. You love the work. Do you want to see a Watchmen sequel?" And the vast response from everyone in that room was, no, just leave it alone. Just yeah. leave it alone. Watchmen is Watchmen. It is it's a it thing. Is. It's yeah. a self-contained story. It's a 12-part comic book series or, or later colloquially known as the graphic novel. Mm. Makes it sound more mature, like adults can read it. And Time <laughs> Magazine can put it in their top 100 <laughs> yeah. pieces of yeah. literature. Graphic novel. Tied in um, with the Black Freighter uh, little sub-story. That's it. Yep. Mm. So, you know, that was the overwhelming response from the audience and and to me i was included in that no we don't need a sequel to watchmen 2020 hbo approaches um, damon lindelof who for me is best known for doing and working on the tv series lost but also very well known for the show the leftovers um he's approached and they say we want you to do watchmen we want you to bring watchmen to life and Damon being a massive, he's a massive fan. He loves it. He's a fan. He knows it. And quite often, this is bandied about. Hmm. Oh, isn't it great that uh, Kevin Smith is doing Masters because he's a fan of Masters? Yeah, you know, like, yeah. oh, it's great that this director has been attached to Masters of the Universe Motion because he's a fan. He played with the toys. I, I don't think it's, it's, it's lip service in this case. Damon Lindelof is a fan. He, he knows that book inside out. He is, it, it, he grew up with it. Like, hmm. and, and he tells the story of his dad coming home with the comic and saying, you're going to love this. <laughs> you're going to love this book, but not yet. You know, like, you're, not, you're, not, you're not old enough for it. Took what? it away. Took it away. Um, but, you know, massive fan, approached by HBO to do Watchmen, and he said, look, you know what? We're not going to top. We're not going to top it. Mm. Why, why bother to try and redo this thing? The, the, the comic, the graphic novel is as good as it's going to be. I'm not interested in just retelling that the, story. The movie was pretty awesome. Like, yeah, I'm a big I, I fan the of the movie. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, I love and, and it was interesting. Yeah, you're a big fan of the movie. It's Zack Snyder. It's in his style. Dave Gibbons asked, you know, he, I think he asked the audience, pretty interactive sort of guy, what did you think of the Zack Snyder film? And, and we're all like, you know, it was, it was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I liked it. And he said, he made a really interesting comment. He said, you know what? I think it was the best adaptation that could be done on film. Like it was yeah. as good as a yeah. film adaptation well, was going to be was of what, yeah, yeah, right. So, th and that was kind of a to me like a glowing review of it. You know, mm. it's not a perfect film, but you know, to adapt, to, to adapt it and take yeah. it, yeah, he, he treated it well. So anyway, um, Damon Lindelof is there saying, "Not going to retread the old ground. 
But what about this idea of a sequel? And what I found really interesting here was in all the lead up to it coming out, he never called it a sequel. He, he only ever seemed to refer to it as a standalone story that takes place in the universe of Watchmen. So I, I thought, you know, I don't know what this is going to be. I've got no idea what this is going to be. I knew I didn't know at the time Damon was a, a massive fan. Um, I know how Lost ended up, and I, I didn't round it out as well as he probably could have. Mm. A little bit more on that, I'll, I'll talk to as, as we sort of round out what I'm what I'm getting at here. But he came up with an idea, and he said it in the universe of Watchmen, and he gave he made that graphic novel absolute canon in his. 2019 Watchmen series like all the events of the the comic and it's not the Zack Snyder version it's the comic have taken place and and form the world inform what's the world is now like 30 odd years after this event and if you think about spoilers for Watchmen the big event is that Ozymandias who is a one of the Watchmen one of the good guys one of kind of like the Justice League Mm realizes that the the world is on the brink of nuclear war and the only way to save the world is to bring bring in an external threat which is this squid alien plant these aliens all around the world they basically wipe out a lot of humanity i think three million in new york are killed by this Mm. psychic squid that he he teleports into the city and that prevents nuclear holocaust because now all the governments are like okay we've got to focus on this alien invasion right rather than worrying about fighting each other and so he had to think about what story can you tell in that world where these events have happened and how mm. does that shape the world and what's that like? And he came up with this really, really quite... I think Watchmen... It was so worthy. elaborate. Yeah. It was so, so elaborate. It's so elaborate. Yeah. And there's so many brilliant parts. And, and I want to talk to them a little bit maybe after we sort of ring the spoiler bell. But everything fits in so beautifully to the universe. And, and the, the TV show pays homage to things like Tales of the Black Freighter, which yes. is the comic that they yeah. read, you know, in the book. And you, yeah. get, you know, they're at yeah, the yeah. newsstand and the guys, the kids reading it and the news vendors there. And they even have the newsstand vendor, like a newsstand vendor <laughs> in New Watchmen. They even have like this Minutemen TV series that's yeah. playing in the background that plays out like a mini Tales of the Black Freighter. And, and the depth and the characters they've chosen to use, you know, like they use Laurie Blake, Silk Spectre. She comes back in as this FBI agent who's locking up superheroes mm. now. And you get um, one of the Minutemen, Hooded Justice, plays a yeah, massive role you, you in get, this. You get the history of, of oh. him, of Hooded Justice, why he was the first, uh, you know, vigilant, not vigilant, superhero, why yeah. he was the first and what led him to become donor mask. You know, why, uh. why isn't he just doing his own... Thing, thing yeah. why, you know, he became a police and, officer and everything. Yeah, but why did he have to put on a mask? And it and plays what out symbolisms. Okay, he, you know, it's not just a, so clever. Not just putting on a mask. It, the symbolisms of him wearing a um a noose, a, a noose and uh, things like that. Yep, and what yep. he, you know, the he put he's a black man, but he put white paint on his face to hide the fact that he was black. Like right. you know, just so it's sort of a very racist, race-driven storyline yep. as well. So complex. Okay, <laughs> all right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. But all these all these characters are fit into the universe, fit into the world that was created by Watchmen, and they they feel so real. They feel so in touch with the world that mm. Dave and Alan created. And there's a really great a couple of new characters. There's Sister Knight, who is the main new superhero, and 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 what they are is the the police force in Tulsa, mm. um, to protect themselves all wear masks, so they're all kind of like vigilantes yep. but, but state sanctioned and Sister Knight is is the main character very again deep complex character Ozymandias comes back in and he's in it's Jeremy Irons and it's it's sensational like just, his little arc is just fascinating and I, I reckon like for me in the Zack Snyder film the, the Ozymandias was a bit off for mm, me for my yep. personal portrayal Jeremy Irons just absolutely nailed it. He was he actor. is Aussie man. It's like yep. it's just yep. that that sociopath that but and the fact he sort of like resents the fact he saved the world but almost doesn't get the kudos. Like <laughs> this is this that. underlying bit yeah, like yeah. it's bitterness and, and yeah. this, but there's another really great character that's almost he's almost to me the Rorschach equivalent yeah. of this, yep. and that's um, Looking Glass. 
like the the looking glass character in yes, this. Yes, yes, like, but but there is a raw. Sh- there's an army of people yeah. that sort of that are racist that don the raw shack mask because they're white sort of white supremacy, white supremacy. right, right? Yeah, but they so they totally misjudge what Rorschach what stood for yeah. and just sort of, sort of saw him in a mask a white man wearing a you know a, a hood hooded mask type thing yep. and and so they they don the master so they what's their names they call the them 7th cavalry yeah oh, you know and they they're, they're okay. part of this you know brotherhood and things like that and there's mm. all these infiltrations yes, yes. yeah yes. like the modern yeah. Yeah. but what what was fascinating with that is it's like you know how they used how has Damon Lindelof decided to use Rorschach as almost like the villain in this, mm. and and he he used this analogy about this the misappropriation like in this world the symbol that Rorschach stood for has been misappropriated right. and now is a symbol of white supremacists. Yeah, nothing about what he stood for, and he was saying it's almost like the misappropriation that can be given when you're given the use of these properties to make a TV show out of, right? Yep. So he's been given Watchmen. Mm. You know, it's it's on his watch. And, and is he going to, you know, do the right thing with it or not? And it was mm. sort of like this little thing they always had in the back of their mind that if we're not careful, what we do on this show will be a misappropriation of what Dave yep. and Alan did. Yep. So there's, there's all these yep. little yep. underlying okay. themes and messages yep. built in here. And, and there's shots that are shot... Yep like the comic book with reference to the way the comic panels are put oh, together visually. Wow. Um, there's the phone of Dr. M- Doc- the Dr. Manhattan. You can go into these telephone booths and send your message to Mars where Dr. Manhattan's <laughs> going to get your message. Like all these little nods, the raining squids. Like yeah, what they yeah. do is it up. Yeah. Ozzy Mandy is like wants yeah. to keep the threat level up but without <laughs> killing people now. So every so often he'll, he'll randomly teleport squids, little, oh, little, little baby squids small like, ones, yeah, yeah. to drop yeah. down. So like they're driving along and they go, oh no, there's an alarm start going yeah. off and <laughs> they, <laughs> they all pull over and all these squids start raining out of the Just sky. Just a reminder. And, and what, what does that do to people and yeah. society? Yeah. So yeah. is it mirror glass? Yeah, looking glass. Looking yeah. Glass. Looking Glass has this tragic backstory of what hap- what how he you know um, how he where he was when the big squid landed on Earth, right? Mm. So he's so that he's, you've got that story, and that has totally scarred him for life, right? right. He is scarred for life. So he wears this um, mirror glass mask to hide his uh, confl- um, complexion and things. So he becomes an interrogation officer, right? And when he's not wearing that, he's just walking around with a baseball cap, right? Yep. And, and uh, spoiler, but later on in the series, you really, he takes off his um, his uh, hat and it's lined with uh, alfoil. Reflectorly. Like, re- re- yeah. Uh, so there's so, these so companies, he can't, there's he these can't, companies out yeah. there that are like selling, you know, protect yourself from the next alien invasion by having like, Reflectorine around your head because that's gonna that if the aliens come and use their telekinesis, <laughs> you're gonna be protected. So he's he's a compulsive, right. you know, yeah. wants to protect himself by using all yeah. these kind of gimmicky products. Yeah. But it's it's so clever how that's written because that would be a, a subset, mm. you know, of of how society goes. There'd be these people with almost yep. post traumatic, and he's going to like these AA the meetings yeah. of people that you know, have these feelings about the, the squid invasion and so forth. It's it's very very cleverly done and there's there's so much richness and detail in the plot. This this is I think a, a masterpiece of how to take a well loved piece of pop culture history and adapt something that you can then that can stand alone Stand alone at its own thing, and and like my mum could watch it and go, I don't need to read the comic, and I can watch it, and that's an incredible what's... series. Yep, but also I can watch it as a fan of Watchmen and, and go, you have get... treated yeah. it treated with it. absolute yep. love and devotion, and that and this, and this to me it was sort of dawned on me in this age of reboots and redos and and reruns and mm. all this stuff, and we look at things like Thundercats Roar and go, how did they get it so badly wrong and the producers are like well this is not for you this is for those other fans those new fans that Mm. are coming along and Mm. you're just a a 35 year old man child complaining about your you know your cartoon well here is something has anyone seen a new Thundercats Raw well they've only shown two episodes because it's so bad they're not they're not willing to even put it on their network (laughs) whoops Um, but you, you can do it you can do it you can can put something out there for the new audience and pay 
a um, respect. Yes, yeah, respect is the word to, to the fans. This mm-hmm. is this is exactly what how you how excited and everything you are for Watchmen. That's how excited I was for Doctor Sleep, the sequel to The Shining. Of course, that's yeah. a that's a film that never needed a sequel, no. and yet they did it so damn well. And I was absolutely blown away. And I think I called that out as my film yep. of the year because I was so blown away by it. And and to that extent, I could show it to my mum, and she'd be like, "Oh, that was a cool movie." But seeing them. You know, paired up. It elevates it, it, it right? ele- yeah. yeah, you get so much more depth and it's like, oh my God, this is so cool. Uh, <laughs> and when so- it's done right, how rewarding is oh, it? Like def- when you don't yeah. destroy the universe or contradict the universe or do things that are, yeah. oh, he wouldn't have yeah, done yeah. that. You know, Star Wars. Oh, Luke wouldn't have done that. You know, I've had I've had 40 years to stew on what Luke would have done. You get it wrong or you don't you don't line it up and, and people criticise yeah. it. Yeah. I, I didn't have any complaints about what any... Like, you know, okay, Laurie Blake didn't turn out how I would have thought, but it's true to where she would have gone you know mm. it's true to where Dr. Manhattan might have gone true to where these characters would have ended up like it was plausible and well certainly written. true to where Ozzy Mandel oh isn't it like it's so yeah. brilliant like it's so true as you to said the characters. Was excellent yeah he was written really well as as well I thought they really nailed nailed him in the writing and and just his total disregard for life I mean I just found you know such a good extension of where he was before you could he was a sociopath before but in his own mind, he was able to justify, I'm doing this to save the world. Yeah, yeah. Even, even making... disregard in this for, for, for life or suffering or, or anything, and that's total sense of entitlement. Yeah, yeah. Even making Dr. Manhattan uh, humanised, you know, as, oh, yes. as, as I just think that was fantastic, be, you know, becoming sort of one of us type thing. And I love the fact that in the original Watchmen series, it's all about the smiley face with the um, the red blood yep. sort of mm-hmm. trickling down. In this series, it was all around the egg, you know, the yes. symbolisms all throughout the series in every episode in numerous se- sequences, and the egg was all about, um, you know, the the new thing to to watch out for and what does this what does that mean is it new life is it mm-hmm. you know beginning is it you know this this that or the other yep. uh, the egg is uh sort of the thing they uh portray as their symbol for their this symbol. series uh it's um yeah quite uh, and there's there's i it, you know there's things in it that look like eggs that aren't eggs you know uh, like a, okay. the ship so the shape a, a right. ship or something might look yep. like in the shape of, of a, an egg type mm-hmm. thing uh, very cool. I, I did uh, like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, cool. And what I have to what I have to give Damon Lindelof absolute kudos for in pitching this idea. He came up with the idea, and it's it's a great idea, right? It all fits into the world. The story moves it along. There's a lot of topical issues contained within there that really came out. I mean, this was done before all the riots in the US and and the yeah. race issues there it's it's a lot about some very confronting issues i learned a lot about the uh, i think it was a 1921 massacre in tulsa yeah that was a real event like a, re- it's a real event yeah. you know where basically there, there was a um what they termed black wall street so a very affluent black community in tulsa mm. that one day uh, there was a, a basically the worst racial violence in america's history perpetrated on this town wow. where people were, were murdered you know pe- businesses were looted and and homes were, were torched um so to, to, for me as a non-american that probably hasn't grown up with the the history mm. and, and a lot of the race relations to sort of see that and realize this was a real event mm. is quite confronting yep and then that for that to be a theme that's quite strongly in there around white supremacist groups and and the sorts of actions they're looking to take was a really brave and bold move I think on his part, but a, but a very important message to get a, out. A powerful, there. very message. powerful. Um, but what I have to give absolute kudos to Damon here came with the idea, wrote it as a, a nine episode series with a beginning and an end. And called it. And he goes, that's, that's it. it. That's all I'm doing. And he learnt the lesson, mm. the hard lesson from writing Lost, where he wrote Lost. And I think they envisaged that to be like, to, what, what they envisaged with Lost and was to pose all these mysteries. Like there's the smoke monster and they're on an island. Yep. What's going on? And then to, to conclude the mystery. So like in season two, their idea was to wrap up every mystery that had they posed. And then create some new mysteries, right? Mm. So you're, you're, you know, wrapping up. But ABC didn't want that approach. They wanted to drag it on as Keep long going. as possible. Yep. Keep going. 
And and he was like, this this has got a limited run, guys. And yeah. ABC were like, no, nah, keep going. This is the highest rating show. Yeah. Keep it going. And he go he worked so hard to get. He goes, we got to we got to. I, I got to know where this is going to end. I've yeah. got to wrap this up. And they're like, cool. We, we've agreed to wrap it up. I think this might have been around season two. Mm. We've got we're going, okay. Yep. We, we hear what you're saying. We're going to wrap it. Season ten. You can wrap it at season ten. He's like, <laughs> he's like what is that? I can't wrap crazy? it at season ten. Um. And, and so he worked. So he really he learned. Yeah. They they dragged it out. Um, less is more. Le, less, less is more. Mm. And and I love the fact now. And and you know that was part of the game. You you pitch a good show, it's a success. You're not gonna, you know, run away sh- run away from mm. that. But but you also want to tell a good story. Kudos to him for learning and going with a pitch that was one season. Now there's talk of what's happening for the second season. He's like, well, I'm done. Yeah, you know, someone else wants to pick up the baton That's and carry it. They mm. can. That was my idea. I've executed it. And and I love that in television yep. where people can, can go, here's the story, beginning, middle, end. Breaking Bad did it really yeah. well. Oh, the nice didn't they neat, ever? That yeah. is my neat, favorite series tiny, ever. Yep. Concise. No, no waffle. Yep. No fluff. There's the story and it's done. And, and and that is important for me watching TV. I need to know it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end, and I can kind of... They're not going to drag it on. It's right? funny because one of my good friends who's he's a big movie buff, movies are his thing, and whereas I probably lean more towards TV, and we have this argument all the time, and he goes, to your point, I like, here's a, here's a story, here's the start, here's the middle, here's the end. And with television, there's this sense of, just keep rolling on. Get season six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Supernatural. I'm not looking at you at yeah, all, right? Exactly. Um, you know, I. I sorry, Ray. She's going to get yeah, yeah, annoyed yeah. at that. <laughs> My wife as well. That's fine. Um, you know, and and I think there is. I feel now in this Netflix era we live in, I feel there's a much stronger appreciation for a good story told in a limited series, eight, nine, ten episodes. Um, I think that's often receive better than a seven, eight, nine, ten season thing where people go people because I think also time. Yeah. People go, Oh, there's seven seasons? I'm not gonna watch that. No. I, can't, I haven't got time for it. But if you go, this is ten episodes and it's done and it's quality, you go, brilliant. You know, Game of Thrones should have stopped two seasons earlier yeah. than it did yeah. and it would have been, you know, pretty close to perfect. So yeah, I think that's that's where the landscape sits at the moment, and uh, I haven't seen it. In case you haven't worked out from all the everyone talking at me, um, I, it sounds like a quality quality product. Yeah, yes, yeah. it's, it's almost something you can watch numerous times and still pick up on. Little oh, I think things. Yeah, that's rich, always a good sign. Rich and deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's very very complex, and until you know the overall arc of where everything's going, oh that that seed you know fills that hole and things yep. like that you you get an appreciation that was the storyline they're trying to tell you right. so then you can re-watch it and know where that character ends up in the you know yep. towards the end and you can watch them and and you can pick up the subtle hints yep. that they drop sure. all the way through but you don't you can't put the pieces together until you've actually you know they sort of spell it out to you and you're yeah. like oh, oh my God. Now, now, <laughs> you know now that i've watched it it is very lost in its approach. Like it's, yeah. you can tell it's Damon Lindelof in the way he sets up the mysteries and plants the seeds, and and like you know, it's it's complex. You, yep. you got the, you know, I had no idea what the hell Ozzy Mandis was doing for like five episodes. I'm yep. like, what the hell is Why going on? Yep. And there's this moment. So, so basically, it starts off where you see Ozzy Mandis on a horse riding towards this big English like 16th century manor house oh. castle thing, mm. right? in the English countryside. And he's got these this male servant and this female servant. It's all very English. Mm. And they're dressed up in their servants' outfits. And and they're a bit they're a little bit hapless. You can tell these two servants are a little bit hapless. And and one day he goes, Look, I've written I've written a, a play and I want you to act it out. And 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 he gives them the script and like, sure thing, Master, we'll we'll do our best and we'll act it out. And and there they are on stage act and it's basically the story of of um Dr. Manhattan as he's transformed into Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. So there's a sequence where, you know, oh dear, and the, the acting's terrible by these two servants, you know, they're, they're on stage and and the male's like, oh no, I've left my watch in the isometric chamber and I must go get it back. And he goes in there and the door closes and locks. And, 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 and yeah, and the woman's like, oh no, I can't bear to watch, I've got to run away. And then it's just like, incinerate. And the guy's just like, ah! 
and he's actually you see him he's actually and, and Ozymandias is just watching you know just like ah yes yep and then they, they, they come on and the, the show ends up and it's revealed that they're like these two actors are all they're clones like there's heaps of the guys and heaps of the girls uh, okay. and they're talking and he's going well done and then they like open at the end of the scene they open up the chamber and just this like he's like and get rid of the body and there's just this burnt body Husk. flops out and like because you know like at the time you know like he's not they're terrible actors he's actually, he's actually dying in there and Ozzy Nandis just yeah. doesn't bat an eyelid and it's no. just you're like what the hell is going on <laughs> like it's just so weird and then eventually when it's all revealed yeah. it's like Plays it's out. so brilliantly elaborate but makes so much sense it is so true to all the characters it's, it's genius yeah. that they've come up with these these ideas and the characters portrayed as they are um, yeah it, it, it's it's very very clever cool all right, and and I think that, that that's sort of all I want to talk about on Watchmen. But I want to leave it with that message: mm. it can be done. You know, just it, it, I just think I know JJ Abrams. Oh, I've said it wrong again. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, geek dudes. JJ yes. Abrams. Yes, Abrams. I do learn. You can teach these South Aussies a thing. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Chris. Um. J.J. Abrams and, and Damon Lindelof worked together on Lost. I think they did yeah. the pilot together. Carlton Cuse as well was involved. And, you know, to, to see Damon go off on this tangent and take a work... It's not as loved as Star Wars, right? But mm. in, in it, it's time it's in top top 100 Time Magazine's literature of all time. Literature of all sure. time, right? So it's, it's revered critically. Yes, sure, it doesn't have the fan base of Star Wars. J.J.'s gone off and done... Star Wars set the scene in running and played it very safe with episode seven, yep. right? And, and, and you know, box office-wise probably did well, but a lot of conflict with the fans, right? And then on the same token, one of his co-collaborators has just shown you how it can be Perfect. done. Yeah, and, and I think there's a lot in that. There's a lot in that, a little, lot of hope for me yep. that these franchises can be revived in a way that gives us something new, but also... Can, you know, connects us to, to the, the property. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, just treats it with a modicum of respect would be nice in some instances. I'm looking at you, Thundercats Raw. <laughs> just give us a... Just treat it with a bit of respect. I think... Like, I, I think, that, you know, they pass the baton on. Yeah. And JJ speaks of it really well. He's like, you know, I don't own Watchmen. I'm just... It's it, every... It's, you know, it's out there. I'm just holding it the baton for yep. a moment in time and I'll pass, pass it on. Pass it to the next. You know, like, that. Just just that logic of... The, the, the care he's treated it with and the respect, you know, he pays for it. And I know Alan Moore has been burnt by film. Mm. You know, I know, you know, he, to the point he doesn't want his name mentioned. And, and you could see, I watched the San Diego Comic-Con 2019 where Damon Lindelof gets up there with the cast and crew yeah. of Watchmen and he goes, I had a chat to, you know, the creator of this <laughs> beautiful, and he's a genius. Yeah. He's asked me not to use his name on this panel. <laughs> like, and that's where it's at. For like, and wow. It's such a... Wow. You know, it's such a... I know, and Alan Moore's an eccentric guy. Yeah, yeah. And I know he's been burnt by Hollywood and now he just doesn't want anything to do with these these productions. Mm. But in a way, it's... It was, I don't know if it's almost taken that. For, for Damon Lindelof to see how he responded to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and, yeah. and all these other... I don't know if he how you know he got to a point where he just wasn't watching yeah. them. He did, wanted his name taken off yep. the credits. Nothing to do with them. I reckon if Alan Moore could, and I know he's not going to watch it. Yeah, and I know he's certainly not going to comment on it. But if he could watch this, I think he'd give it the tick of approval. Yeah. And they got Dave Gibbons in to kind of you know oversee it and 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 look at it because because Alan's just not going to touch it. Mm. But I reckon he he must go. Well done. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yes. You've, yeah. you've done what none of these other Hollywood execs and producers could actually do in my source material. Yep. Yeah, and I think it, it, a lot of the, you know, you talk about other properties, your Thundercats or whatever, they need to find their own super fan who has the ability to treat it right. And JJ in the Star Wars example is probably not a bad one. I would say the difference there is I suspect there would be a lot more meddling from yep. your Kathleen Kennedys and, and higher-ups that yeah. JJ, what JJ presented and what we saw on film, probably two very different things. Um, whereas it sounds like they, you know, with Watchmen, they said, hey, 
you know what you're doing for licensing go yeah. go yeah. hell for yeah. leather yeah. so yeah we just need that for all the properties we care about and reboots would well, be I mean, a good thing not a bad that thing that seems to be the advantage of HBO right now they seem yeah. to be really open to to people coming in let and the creators do it experimenting I'll get the word out in a minute and and having a voice of their own yep without some of the influence and it's going to be fascinating over the next few years to see that unfold and what that might deliver yeah well i hope i hope people that saw joker you know the yep. the gurus that uh, can make these films take a slice out of what they did with joker and be like well we these films can be done yep. you know without the lead hero and the uh you know the yep. the villain think outside so, the yeah box think outside bit. yeah because mm. that was just that was so um artistic yep. Yep. you know and and uh on paper, you know, if you pitch that idea to me on paper, I'd be like, oh, I'm not sure about it. Mm. But damn, you know, um, uh, that was brilliant. Yep. Yeah, so. Yeah, and, and a doc just in a leaving comment that's slightly related and I've wanted to talk to for a number of weeks, Heart of Batman, and, and it was mentioned on a patron page, it's the history of Batman the Animated Series, Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, those mm. guys, Warner Brothers, um, putting that a show the, it... the animated series it's yep. a documentary okay. about a two hour documentary showed up funnily enough on YouTube free to watch of all places brilliant brilliant but talks to that exact point mm. around the struggles for creative voice working in the studio system and it, it required a lot of faith in the higher ups yeah. to put their faith into what these guys are doing kind of let them run with it and, and there's a lot of credit given to one of the, the... There was basically a person, a female, put on the show that her job was to look at the script and make sure the censors would kind of be happy with it. So she'd go through and go, no, you can't have Batman doing that yep. on TV and you can't do that for the kids. And the, so sure. she was basically the filter. Yep. And she had a very fine line because obviously the, the writers were trying mm -hmm. to push things and she had to make sure it was appropriate. No, you can't have him shoot him in the head or, yep. or whatever. Um. But to see all the pieces that needed to go together to get the creative vision to come out in the way that was true to what people, you know, behind the, the product wanted to do, mm. tough game, yeah. right? Hard to play. And we know, and I know, and I understand that process. I understand the way it works and I understand the Star Wars mm. complexities. Watchmen would have been an easier sell with HBO, right? You sure. can do a lot more. Yeah, that's right. But, but my criticism with Star Wars is now looking back on it, they really didn't forge ahead trying to tell a new story. They really played, particularly episode seven. I know mm. uh, Ryan Johnson did probably some with, groundbreaking with stuff yeah. Yeah, and got criticized for yeah. it because it went straight too far. We know the debate, we won't have it again. Um, but looking back at episode seven, you know, a lot of people it said safe. it was like oh, yeah. Star Wars and Jedi yeah, kind of merged yeah. together. Yeah, absolutely, hope, and you hope. Yeah, and and yeah. so, and, and this is my, my message is you, you can pay the fan service like, Damon's done in Watchmen. But tell a new but story. But tell a new story that yep. moves the property forward. So that's that's my eureka moment. Can yep. be done. Oh, it can be done. Just <laughs> just hire him for everything. Yeah. Just go, hey, what do you think about uh, Thundercats? <laughs> yeah. You a Masters fan at all? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Very good. That's it. Uh, yeah, so, shout outs. Yeah, so virtually, Mr. Frank, you have had one week to hunt your through your toy room and look for this uh, secret agent that uh, Villains mm, for Hire yes. uh, got Scotty. me to uh, be the middleman in on. Okay, uh, so, you so go? if you didn't catch last week's episode, Ben has planted a non-Frank toy in the toy room. How long did it take you to find Frank? Uh... Probably not that long, to be honest, uh, because I could automatically rule out the shelves anything above my head height because Ben's well, not that tall. I thought the same thing <laughs> until I saw that stepladder in the corner and then it was all bets are off. Oh, could be on any like shelf. That, yeah. It would have had to be pretty quick to get the stepladder out and go up higher, but I think that'll be a challenge for next week from the sounds well, of it. Well, I didn't want to knock anything over. <laughs> heaven, forbid, heaven forbid I go to put this secret agent there and I hear this crash boom playing, oh crap, I've knocked out the quarter uh, wing of your toy room sorry bud. so he's found it now is it was it an item of something that you collect so it blended in or was it something that stood out like a sore thumb well it was you've gone about as non-frank as you could with this toy um it was a little gi joe i don't even know the name of it to be honest but he was hidden in amongst my vintage ninja turtles 
Um, just kind of sitting down in between a, a couple of figures there. It's like waving to you. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How are you? Is it, we're not really <laughs> trying to hide that well. Yeah. <laughs> now, the story behind... Is this an exclusive mail-away job? I have Correct. absolutely no yes. idea. It's a, it's yep. a, Do you know his name? The footballer. He's a gridiron player. I was going to say, he looked like American a Harlem Globetrotter because he had like numbers and stuff on. Yep. Do you I know his name? No. I got it in second guess, but no, no when, when Scott presents I've it. heard it. Fridge. The fridge, that's right. <laughs> yep, he yep. was a mail away, right? Correct, yeah. Yep, yep. Oh, and cool. He... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Makes him even better. <laughs> so what's happening to fridge now? Uh, Are you I taking don't know. him back to Scotty? I, I think it, I think Frank should give him back to Scotty. Scott, Scott he can maybe maybe how Frank can hold attached, him ransom. How attached I'm is sure Scotty it, to this thing? Mail away, it's pretty it's I think pretty, it's I his childhood. Yeah, don't 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 uh, don't Frank do anything becoming... untoward to it. Well okay. If he's in the fridge, I, just, I might shuffle him into the freezer and see what happens. I think I think uh, Scott's hey, hey. going to get back a little ice cube. <laughs> now you get little bricks I, on it, you know. I think that deep down, Frank is a Yojo fan, and he doesn't want to part with him. That's what I think. Well, it's and funny. I, I was I was telling my wife. Better let it go. I was telling my wife about what had happened, and uh, she's like, "Oh, well, you need to do like a like a round robin thing, you know, just." Next time you're in you're in Ben's toy room or Trent's toy room, you just you know, oh, just shit. just hide a figure in there, and we just we just don't speak about it until like you know the next recording. You just go, found him, it's on this <laughs> yeah, shelf. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it. I reckon that that's a good idea. Actually, that is yeah, a good yeah, idea. it's a really good I idea. I reckon yeah. it'd be harder to find in Trent's toy room. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's virtually impossible. I mean, you, you there's so many spots you could put it. I won't find it for you. You just throw you. it in the door <laughs> and say, "There you go. You won't find that." <laughs> I had a dog once. <laughs> He's in here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, that's me, uh, on that Simpsons note, we will say a massive thank you to all our patrons for your ongoing support and brilliant chats on the Discord. We love it. Keep it up. It's great. And we've got some exciting stuff we're going to work through that has been so generously given to us. Yeah. Uh, for, sort of for the sake of toy power and, and raising a few extra dollars so that's wonderful and we'll get to some of those the the car and the comics and, and all those great things that we've we've mentioned briefly and to all our listeners for tuning into another episode thank you so much for your support as well we will see you around the toy aisles and until next time good journey you can find the toy power team at all the usual online places Facebook.com slash Toy Power Podcast at Toy Power Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram or have your say and email us toypowerpodcast at gmail.com Subscribe to the show on both iTunes and Stitcher and please leave us a review otherwise we just assume we're awesome We are a proud member of the Giant Size Team Up Network Check out all the awesome shows on this awesome network full of okay people Want to learn more? Go to GiantSizeTeamUp.com where you can find us and a whole lot more awesome shows. Well, they're not more awesome than us, but... Yeah. Oh, oh, oh.